we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. Let's open the Bible, would you please, to the book of Philippians again, to Philippians chapter number 3. We started here last night. If you'll permit me, I'm going to read the, some of the same verses again. This time I'm going to keep reading and show you the rest of the story. Our theme this year is one thing. Paul said, this one thing I do. It's a return to simplicity and to singleness of purpose. And basically, the one thing is Jesus. The one thing is the, the lifelong pursuit of Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you an interesting study. This would be a great thing to study out. Study all of the double things in the Bible that God warns against, and then study all the single things that God mentions. For example, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So anything that is double, a double heart, a double mind, uh, that, that gives the idea that it's divided. But in Scripture, there is always this emphasis on singleness and simplicity, boiling it all down to the bottom line. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Uh, one thing. Uh, for example, the Lord Jesus looked at the Pharisees two different times in the Gospel according to Luke and said, I'll ask you one thing. I love that. He could have said so many things to them. He asked them one question each time, and like a dagger, it went straight to the heart. I'll just ask you one thing. He looked at a rich man one day and said, One thing thou lackest. He looked at Mary one day and Martha, and what was his message to them? One thing is needful. Mary's chosen the good part. Uh, the man that he healed, they said, tell us all about this man that healed you. He said, I don't know how to tell you everything. All I know, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. The psalmist said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Sounds like one thing is one of God's emphasis. What do you think? And when you come to Philippians 3, you come to one of these one things in the life of the apostle Paul. Look what he says beginning in verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I just want Christ and all that Christ has for me. Now that little word attain and the word apprehend, they're fascinating words. They literally mean, if you study them out, the language of Paul's day, they would have understood this. They literally mean to grab something, watch this, and pull it down. Literally the downward pull. Now, this is a beautiful little play on words because look what he's striving for, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, right? We're going up, friends. We're going to the judgment seat. We're, we're going to glory. We've got a lot to look forward to. But he said, while I'm here on this earth, on the track and in the race, what I'm seeking to do is lay hold of those heavenly resources and pull them down to where I am. I'm laying hold on the Lord. Uh, let, let me illustrate. I was watching a football game the other day, and uh, one guy made four guys miss the tackle. And I thought, somebody needs to help those people work on tackling. 
Because tackling is not touch. We're not playing two-hand touch. It's wrap them up and pull them down. Is that right? That's basic fundamental football. It's the same mental imagery that's used here. He said, hold on to Jesus. Latch a hold of who Christ is, and you will pull all of the divine resources of heaven down to your own soul. It is the pursuit of Jesus. Simple, isn't it? Sometimes in our complex world, and sometimes, frankly, we make things more complicated than we should. We have just, we have created a formulaic Christianity, an equation Christianity, where we give people seven steps to everything and three ways to this and all that kind of thing. And the one thing that just cuts through all of that, you know what people need? Jesus. And you know what ministers need? Jesus. I remember years ago, you know, it's interesting, certain things stand out in meetings, and it's not always the sermons I remember being in a, in a meeting, and they called on a, on a seasoned pastor to come and pray. And he came to the pulpit, and this is the way he began his prayer. I'll never forget it. It was like etched in my memory. He said, Lord, we thank thee for thyself. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought to myself, when was the last time I just said, Jesus, thank you for you? Not for things, not for opportunity, not for gifts, not for all the stuff of life. When was the last time I just said, Lord, you're wonderful. Thank you for you. You know what that is? That's the one thing. But now, wait a minute. He doesn't end in verse number 14. He continues in verse 15 and 16. Look at it. Let us therefore, so because of all of that, because of the one thing, because of, of who Christ is in us, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, this is interesting because he just said he wasn't perfect, and now he said, if you are perfect, what is he saying? Two different perfects here. He said, you're not yet like Jesus, but if you're a mature Christian, you're not yet everything you ought to be. None of us is what we ought to be. He's still working on us. Anybody else glad for that? But if you've really matured enough to the point where you realize you're not everything you ought to be. By the way, one mark of maturity is the acknowledgement you're not everything you ought to be. It's ironic, isn't it? You think mature people, they're the people who have arrived. No, the mature people are the people that realize they don't have all the answers. And he said, if you're that perfect, then, then keep this mind. And then he says this, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. He said, in the areas where you have the mind of Christ, keep that. But he said, you've probably got some other areas where you're not thinking right. May I just say to the people gathered here today, we all have some areas where we're not thinking right. And part of the reason that we come to a meeting like this is to say, Holy Spirit, would you show me the areas where I'm not thinking like Jesus right now, where, where my thoughts are down here when they should be up here? He said, God will reveal that to you. Matter of fact, would you just breathe a prayer right now to God and just say, Lord, show me that. If you dare. Lord, reveal to me where I'm not thinking like you're, you're thinking. Then look at verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. I'd like you to write something down, if you will, across the top of your paper for this session. It is this little expression, growing without drifting. I believe this truth is encapsulated in these two verses, verse 15 and verse 16. How many of you want to grow? You want to grow. Look, the whole reason you came to this meeting is you want to grow. We all want to go further with the Lord and deeper into the love of God and, 
and higher in our thinking, we want to grow. But may I tell you one of the inherent dangers in growth is that sometimes as you're growing, if you're not careful, you will start drifting away from the foundational things, the anchor truths that God has already taught you. Sometimes, sometimes in our attempt to go on, we forget the things God has already accomplished in our heart. And so there's a beautiful balance here. Look at the two verses, verse 15 and verse 16. In verse 15, he says, stay teachable, stay open, stay willing for God to reveal things to you and to transform any area of your life that isn't what it ought to be. You might want to write in the margin of your Bible next to verse 15. That's growing. You want to know what growth looks like? It's God revealing to you things that are not right. And you saying, Lord, bring that in line with you. That's real growth, spiritual growth. But look at verse 16. Don't miss the balance. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Mark that in your Bible. Let us mind the what? Same thing. Sound familiar? Back up to verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things. You know, the same things are the safe things. The Athenian nature has invaded ministry today. Everybody remember Athens? They spend all their time in either to tell or to hear some new thing. Everybody's looking for some new thing. I want to say to you, it is not a new thing we need. It is a fresh glimpse of the eternal Christ. That's what we need. We're not looking for some new thing. So it's a return to the same things. Look at the balance here. In verse 15, we're growing, we're teachable, we're open. But in verse 16, we're fixed, we're settled. We're refusing to lose the ground we've already gained. <laughs> and you know what I'm seeing in a generation of, of ministers? Is that in their attempt to go further and higher and on into greater things, they're abandoning things they ought to be holding on to. While you're advancing, don't lose ground. While you're seeking to grow in the Lord and do more for the Lord and make the most of your opportunity, please don't abandon what God has already given you. Look, we are standing and advancing. Standing means fixed, but it doesn't mean stationary. We're moving forward. We're, we're charging the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's some things that should not be given up. Don't retreat while you're trying to advance. And there is this balance of growing without drifting. All of us said a minute ago we wanted to grow. Could I just challenge you? While you're growing, don't let yourself drift. I'm learning at this season of my own life and ministry that God is refining things. He's always doing that, but there are certain times he's just cutting things away. Isn't it funny as you get older that there are some things that matter less and less? And there are other things that matter more and more. And I think one of the things we all need to pray for discernment in right now is, Lord, show me what really matters and what really doesn't matter. Show me what's going to matter when I stand before Jesus. And help me to lay anything else aside that would keep me from that. In fact, write down two words. Would you write down these two words? These are the things we have to do all of our ministry. We have to eliminate and we have to emphasize. You can't emphasize the right thing if you're not willing to eliminate certain things. So let me ask you a question. I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's not my business. You don't work for me. You work for Jesus, and so do I. But is there anything right now you need to eliminate? 
any, anything that just needs to be laid aside, you'll say, you know what, this is, this is keeping me from my pursuit of Christ. This is hindering me from, from being the, the servant of the Lord I'm supposed to be. I want to eliminate this. And then here's what I want to emphasize. Here's what I want to give myself to. If you'll permit me this morning, I'm going to do something very personal. I'm going to give you some of my list. And I'm doing it because I want you to understand I'm not, I'm not talking at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm at this juncture listening to the Holy Spirit tell me some things. And maybe some of them will be of help to you, but I know right now these are some of the things God is helping me to eliminate, to lay aside, and to emphasize so that I can grow without drifting. Would you write them down, please? Number one, the Lord's teaching me this. Be more concerned with prayer than with planning. I'm a planner by nature. I like planning. I administrated for years. Uh, I enjoy detailed things and, you know, writing out objectives and all that kind of thing. How many fellow planners are in the room? Would you raise your hand, all you planners? Yeah. Do you know the problem with that? God is not looking for planners. God is looking for followers. And that doesn't mean that leaders don't have to have a plan. That doesn't mean they don't have to explain it to people. But it means this that really my first priority is not to lead. My first priority is to follow, and the only way I can do that is to stay in an attitude of prayer. You know when Joshua got in trouble leading? When he failed to ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you that most of the big messes that I have made in my own life and the terrible missteps I have taken in ministry have been at seasons where I was not living in the spirit of prayer and depending on God to show me what to do next. I thought I knew exactly what to do. Now, I think there's a great thing to have confidence in Christ, but when you get to the place where you think, I know what to do, you are in trouble. Prayer is both the preparation and the work. It's what gets you ready for God to do what God wants to do, and it is also the greatest work of all because, watch this, when you pray, you find God's plan. And when you pray, it's not what you can get done. It's what God can do. And we need a return to prayerful pulpits and prayerful preachers. And I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you. We need to turn our computers off. And lay our cell phones aside. God's dealt with me about this. On my phone, I don't know if yours does this or not, but every week I get a little report that says your screen time. How many of you get one of those, your screen time? And I always look at that, and I look at the hours, and I think, dear Lord, did I give that many hours last week to this stupid little box in my hand? And how, how much time did I give last week to really communing with God? You want to grow without drifting? Be more concerned with prayer than planning. Here's the second thing God's teaching me. Be more concerned with the Spirit's promptings than with your organizational ability. I like organization. I think organization is, is necessary. God's a God of order. It does all things decently and in order. But the problem with organization is you can organize the Holy Ghost right out of it. And we like to put God in our box and make him fit what we want. And I just want you to know the Holy Spirit doesn't work for us. He works in us, and he works the will of God in us. And I don't always know what the will of God is. You know, one of the first great prayer lessons is that we don't know how to pray. Read Romans 8. You know not what to pray for as you are, but the Spirit who lives in you makes groanings for you 
groanings that cannot be uttered, intercession for the groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, and I do not always know the mind of God. Pastor Sexton taught me so many things all those years. He taught me a lot of things when he didn't know he was teaching it. And maybe he did, but I think there were a lot of things that just kind of off the cuff I was picking up. I remember I, I sat next to him on the platform for years, and I remember one service. <laughs> we always had an order of service, and I think that's good. I think it's, it's good to have a plan instead of just getting up and winging it and hoping something happens, you know. So we always had an order of service, and it never went like the order of service said. And some of you people that, that work there know exactly what I'm talking about. He was always maneuvering things around, throwing something in, cutting something out, and that kind of thing. But one particular service, he just did something really out of the ordinary. And I'm trying to remember even now what it was. I think it was a season of prayer. I mean, we were like in the flow of the service, and everybody knew what was coming next. You know what I'm talking about. You get in ruts. Did you know you get in ruts? Vance Havner said a rut is just a grave with both ends knocked out of it. It's death. So sometimes you've got to shake it loose. And in the middle of the service, he just walked to the pulpit and just off the cuff, I mean, turned everything on its head. And I remember people praying and, and the whole service just upside down. He came back to the seat, and, and I said to him, that was, that was out of the ordinary or that was something, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Scott, he said, if you're going to be led of the Holy Spirit, you have to remember that at times it's going to seem very spontaneous because the Holy Spirit will prompt you to do things at moments that you had not planned. And then he said this to me. He said, do you remember that verse where Jesus said, the wind bloweth where it listeth? You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You just know heaven's wind is blowing. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need more of that. Not trying to work something up, not trying. Look, religious flesh is still flesh. We don't need more religious flesh. But I mean just obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Look, the church is not an organization the church is an organism, and there is a world of difference between an organism and an organization. In fact, hold on to your seat, the only way to organize an organism is to dissect it, and that kills it. Is it possible that even with all of our organizational prowess, we're actually putting to death the work of the Holy Spirit in our churches? We must be more concerned with the Spirit's promptings than with our organizational ability. Number three, the Lord is teaching me right now to be more concerned with adherence to Scripture than with relevance to society. Everybody wants to talk about being relevant, being relevant. Brother, the Scripture is always relevant and it is all sufficient. The great thing about the Word is it's relevant and it's right. That's a pretty good combination, isn't it? So it is pure, it is true for every generation, and we need a generation of ministers that return just to the simple, plain truth of the Word of God. Truth over trends. The only thing that really endures. Think of this. God wrote a book. God wrote a book. Like he put it in black and white. And we're searching for better ideas. I mean, how ignorant can we be to think that we could come up with a better way than what the Lord has already given. George Whitfield, the, the preacher of the Great Awakening, said God condescended to become an author, and most people will never even read the book he wrote. Imagine standing before God at the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account 
for what we allowed to determine our work and to direct our labor, and it was not his word. Love the word. Love it. Live in it. Eat it, drink it, sleep it. People say, I want to be a better preacher. Look, what we need to be is better Bible students. If we were better Bible students, we'd be better preachers. Because then you preach out of the overflow. And when you open your mouth, it's not an outline that comes out. It's the truth of the Word of God that comes out. Read more Scripture than you do ministry volumes. I love to read. I'm a reader. And I like books, old and new. But I want to recommend to you, we all need to return an old-fashioned revival of Bible reading. That's what we need. Be more concerned with adherence to Scripture than relevance to society. Number four, the Lord's teaching me this. Be more concerned with bringing individuals to Christ than with building a big program. Bigness has absolutely corroded and corrupted church work. Would somebody please stand and tell me how many they ran in Sunday school at Philippi? Can anybody tell me how large the congregation at Thessalonica was? When they had their big day in Ephesus, how many did they have? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, look, every, every number's a soul, and you want to get everybody into the preaching of the gospel, you can. Don't get me wrong. I'm for seeing the church advance and grow and all that kind of thing. I mean, you're sitting in a church right now that is growing and God's blessing, and they've just bought the, the grocery store plaza across the way to, to grow for the future. I think it's thrilling, and it's wonderful. But here's the problem. If we make the crowd the goal, we have missed the heart of Jesus because the heart of Jesus is never a heart for crowds. It's a heart for the individuals in the crowd. Maybe if we did a better job of reaching individuals, we'd see more crowds. Hey, Philip, I know you're having a great meeting over here in Samaria. I know it's wonderful. But what I need you to do is go down to the desert. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That defies reason. That goes beyond logic. Yeah, but God is up to something. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch sitting down there in a chariot reading Isaiah the prophet who's trying to understand. And how can he understand unless some man guides him? And that was a divine appointment. Don't you know, don't you know that as big as the revival in Samaria was, the first convert to the continent of Africa was a very big deal. You don't always know what God's doing, what the Lord's setting in motion. So be less concerned with how many are sitting in front of you and more concerned with a guy that pulls up next to you at the gas station. And here's what I'm convinced of. If we would zero in on the individuals, the Lord would fill the building. The Lord would bring the people. The Lord would draw many to himself. But we got to get back to personal witnessing, to a passion for individual souls. I mean, if I ask you right now, tell me one person you're after. I mean, you're after them. Does anybody's face and name come to your mind? We must be more concerned with bringing individuals to Christ than building a big program. Don't get so easily impressed and enamored with the numbers. Number five, be more concerned with guiding your family than gaining a following. Everybody today is talking about building their tribe and developing their platform. Could I just remind you that your first flock and the first flock you're going to stand before God for is your own family? We went into evangelism. It was all new to me. It was all new to me. And I had a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. 
We believe, Tammy and I really prayed through what school the kids should be in and what life structure should be there and all that kind of thing. And I started traveling, and pretty soon I realized that the travel could just absolutely consume your life. And not bad, it's just... <laughs> and pretty soon you're not a husband, you're not a father. And I went back and I called through every pastor I was scheduled to be with, and I said to every one of them, if you need to get another preacher for your special meeting, and please do that, and no, you and I are good. But I need to make a little adjustment in my travel schedule each week, and I want to explain to you why. And I said, it has nothing to do with me being there. It has everything to do with the fact I've got to be home some. I've got to be, I've got three kids who are coming into their teenage years, and I, I, they need a daddy, and I get one shot at this. And I don't want to miss it. I want to tell you now, our, our third one is getting ready to graduate high school this year. I do not regret a single day I have been at home. Not a single day. Now, that doesn't mean you get to be there for everything all the time. You've got to be intentional about it. But I'm just telling you, God taught me something about this and is teaching me something about this. Family matters. Somebody said, you're going to be an evangelist forever. Have every intention of it. I mean, unless the Lord tells me something different, I hope to do it till I see Jesus someday. But I know this, there are seasons of ministry, and God can change the ministry assignment anytime he so chooses. But there's one assignment he's given me that is a lifetime, and that is to be a husband and to be a father. And sometimes I think even our social media uh, world has promoted this idea, you gain a following, you gain a following. People get really impressed with how many followers on Twitter and how many followers on Facebook or followers on LinkedIn or followers on whatever. Who cares? Those people don't even know you. And you don't know them. And you may influence them a little bit and you may get a good word out and God can use that and I love using those platforms for that kind of thing. But there is one platform I know God has given me that is mine. That is my family. Too many virtual connections instead of real-life relationships. You, didn't, you never truly change people's lives from a distance. That is done up close and personal, and that has to start at home. Number six, he's teaching me this. Be more concerned with worship than with work. I love work. I, I had early on put into me from grandparents and parents a certain work ethic I worked for a man for years who knew how to work and who expected us to work. I'm not afraid of work. I like work. I like working outside. I like, I like physical labor. I like work, and I certainly love the work of the Lord. So I am not advocating a passive, lackadaisical, lay-down-and-die ministry philosophy, you know, that you just kind of float and let, let God do whatever God's going to do. But we are laborers together with God. We're, we're in this thing together. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that the best work always grows out of worship. And when I go to the work first and skip the worship, something is missing. It's empty. And my first job every morning is to get in God's presence. That's my job every morning. Somebody said, how much Bible do you read? I stopped counting it by chapters. I try to read until I know I am worshiping. I'm going to tell you what I believe. This is just my own personal belief. I believe the Word should always lead to worship. This is a worship book. The one thing God the Father desires, worship. The one thing He deserves, worship. The one thing we're going to do for eternity, worship. And think of this, we get to do it now. And you know what the Word does? The Word takes you by the hand and leads you into God's presence and leads you to worship. 
And if we were more concerned with our worship lives, our work would take on more meaning and be more fulfilling. Because now you're laboring in the presence of God, and you're not doing it through your own energy and your own resources. I was preaching revival a few years ago here in North Carolina for a man that I did not know. I've since come to know him, and he's a, he's a faithful man. His wife has passed away now, and, and uh, the Lord has graciously, uh, several years later, given him uh, another help meet, and they're serving the Lord, and just great people. But he was a man I did not know, and Tammy and the kids were with me, and we showed up. I remember the meeting started on Easter Sunday. I like resurrection revival meetings. They're great. And we started on Sunday. It was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday meeting. And I think it was Monday night, if I remember correctly. We'd, we were having a really special meeting, people being saved and good things happening. And on Monday night, I, I gave the message and I gave the invitation and people came and prayed. And it, as is my custom, at the, somewhere near the end of the invitation, I turned it back to the pastor to let him go further or conclude or make whatever emphasis he wants. And uh, so I stepped away from the pulpit and laid the microphone down and went and sat down on the front row. And uh, the people finished praying and went back to their seats. And the music stopped. And the pastor didn't get up. And we all sat there in silence for a few moments. It was like a holy hush had settled on the building. And I will never forget what that man did. He was prompted of the Holy Spirit, no, no doubt about that. He never got out of his seat. He started singing some great hymn about Jesus. He just took off singing. When he'd sung maybe, I don't know, three or four words, a group of people started singing with him. And when they had given a line or two and people recognized the song, the whole church joined in. I've never heard such singing in my life. They finished that hymn, they went into another hymn. They finished that one, they went into another one. I don't know how long we sat there, but it was glorious. I mean, we just sat there basking in the presence of God and just singing to the Lord and I thought to myself, now these people sang pretty good early in the service, but this singing was on another level. And God taught me something sitting in that room that night. You know what the difference was? The Word of God had given us a glimpse of God that was so different that now we were singing differently. In fact, I, I said to a pastor the other day, I think typically in our churches, we have put most of the music at the wrong time in the service. I mean, all of my life I've heard people say, well, the music prepares you for the preaching. I believe that. I get that. I understand that. But I also believe the preaching prepares you for the worship. And I think maybe we ought to do more singing on the back end of the service. Uh, like last night, Pastor Hooks came up at the end of the meeting, and it was wonderful, the song that was selected and the way it was sung. It just it lifted us to the Lord, and we worshiped God together. I think there's something to this, and what is true collectively in a church service is certainly true personally in our devotional life. Always begin with worship, and out of the worship, the work gets a holy momentum behind it. The wind of heaven begins to blow in your soul. Be more concerned with worship than work. One more, and I'll stop. Number seven, be more concerned with goodness than greatness. I'll talk today about Great preachers and a great church and a great meeting. Great, 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 great. We've just overused it to the point it means nothing. There's only one who's really great, and that's the Lord. He's the great one. And if there's any great thing in anybody's life, it must be God in us because it sure isn't us in us. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And yet what is one of the marks of the fruit of the Spirit? Goodness. Spurgeon said this in his classic little book, The Soul Winner. He said, in our beginnings, we are too fine to be fit. 
and too great to be good. Did you know sometimes we're striving so hard to attain a certain level of whatever it is that we miss the one thing, and it's the Lord in us. Well, what did Paul say that Christ be formed in you? That Christ be formed in you. When you look in the mirror in the morning, what do you see? Somebody said, it's bad, preacher, it's really bad. No, 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 no. When you look in the mirror each morning, when you look in the mirror each morning of the Word of God, what do you see? I must tell you, far too many days I see my first father. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Adam. I see a whole lot of him in me and not near enough of my heavenly father in me. I've been praying in recent months certain thing for myself. Lord, please help me be more like Jesus. Please help me just to be more like Jesus. I'm not talking about in the pulpit or in a service. Look, none of us are what we are in church. No person in this room is a better Christian than the Christian they are in the privacy of their own home. Not a single one of us. None of us are what we think we are. None of us are what others think we are. We are all what God knows us to be. And so, the real work has to start at home. Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. You know a word that's been lost in our day? We were talking about this the other day. Holiness. Whatever happened to holiness, anyhow? I'll tell you what happened. On one hand, it got reduced to, to people talking about standards and convictions, and I'm not on a tirade against standards and convictions, but there's a better word. It's called holiness. When the holy, excuse me, when the thrice holy God invades every area, he'll take care of all that junk. And on the other hand, a whole bunch of other people said, that's all legalism, that's all legalism. Whatever happened to holiness? Like people knowing God and loving God and walking close to God and the Holy Spirit of God so filling their lives that they become more and more like Jesus. That, friends, is the one thing. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2022 is scheduled for September 5th through the 7th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on REST, please visit our website, therestconference.com.